0: Trusting in him, that's also a possibility. I think I've stumped you a little bit. Let me, uh, let me read to you. Actually, I'm going to have you read so, so that I don't have to uh, use my voice a lot because my voice is kind of going in and out right now. Um, there's about four or five major portions of scripture that I'm going to have us read. So first of all, if you will turn to First Kings, that's in the, New, in, the, in the New Testament right after Colossians. No, no. First Kings. Samuel. Samuel, then Chronicles, then Kings, isn't it? Or is it Kings and Chronicles? I can't remember now. I I normally have it memorized, but I'm a little flighty right now. First Kings, chapter 8. I'm going to read this one because we're jumping around in this one. And then I'll have someone else read the next section, One Kings chapter eight, verse one. Then King Solomon summoned into his presence at Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes and the chiefs of Israelite families to bring up the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Zion, the city of David. Skip down to verse eight, six. The priests then brought the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. Verse ten. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. Skip down now to verse 22. Then Solomon stood before the Lord of the altar, excuse me, stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands toward heaven, and said, "O Lord, God of Israel." There is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised and with your hand you have fulfilled it as it is today. Now, Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, You shall never fail to have a man sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons are careful in all they do to walk before me as you have done. And now, O God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David, my father, come true. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple that I have built. Yet, give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, O Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day. This place of which you said, my name shall be there. So that you will hear the prayer of your servant praise toward this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. Skipping down to 41. As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people, Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name. For men will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm when he comes and prays toward this temple. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place and do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and may fear you as do your own people, Israel, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. Would somebody turn to him number uh, to Psalm number four eighty-four and read all twelve verses, please?
1: Eighty-four?
0: Psalm,
2: Psalm eighty-four. Alone is the dwelling place of our body, my soul draws in for the presence of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out to the living God. Even the sparrow has gone hunt and swallowed a past for a for she and he have our young a place near the altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and who have set their hearts on pilgrimages. As they pass through the valley of the Baca, they make it place of springs. The autumn rain is also covered with poles. They go from strength to strength till age appears before God and Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord God Almighty, listen to my God, O Jacob. Look upon our shield, O God, look with favor in your anointed one. Better is one day in your course than a house and elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of
0: the wicked. Um, Could someone else pick up for her, please?
1: For the Lord God is a sun and shield, the Lord is full of favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk in is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the man who trusts in you.
0: Joshua chapter 24. Joshua is right after. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Judges, Joshua. Where's the Joshua <laughs> Judges? Like I said, the Percocet's doing its number on me. At chapter? chapter 24. I'm going to read the first two verses and then 14 through 18. If someone could read that for us. Okay. Okay. The first two verses and then the fourteenth through the eighteenth verse.
1: In this Bible says the Lord's covenant renewed. Then Joshua summoned all the tribes of Israel to Shem, including their elders, leaders, judges, and officers, so they came and presented themselves to God. Joshua said to the people, listen. Yes, what the Lord God of Israel said long ago, your ancestors, your ancestors included Terah, the father of Abraham, and you um, live beyond the Euphrates River, and they worship other gods. And then, verse fourteen through eighteen. So I fear the Lord and serve Him wholeheartedly, put away forever the idols of your ancestors when they lived beyond the Euphrates river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone, but if you refuse to serve the Lord then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors to serve beyond the Euphrates, or would you will it be the gods of Amorites in those lands you now live? But for me and my family, we will serve you. Verse 16 through 18. Awesome. The people replied, I would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods, for the Lord our God is the one who rescued us and our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty a miracle before our very God. So we travel through the will though we travel through the wilderness among our enemies, he preserved us. And it is the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. So we too will serve the Lord, for he alone is our God. Okay. And then finally,
0: the Gospel of John, chapter six. The Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 56 through 69.
2: He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also shall live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died, he who eats this bread shall live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, conscious that his disciples crumbled at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then, if you should behold the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life, but there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe, and who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Jesus said, therefore, to the twelve, You do not want to go away, also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the only one of God. Okay.
0: What, are the, what is the common theme? And there may be more than one, but what do you see as a common theme running through these verses that we've just
1: read? If you're saved and you have God's salvation, you have no other place to go to Him.
0: If you're saved and you have God's salvation, you have no other place to go but to Him. Okay. Anything else? Hmm? A lot of people turn away because it's just too hard. Okay. You shall have no other gods before me. Okay. Um, Has something to do with being a servant. Making choices. Let me read to you... um, some highlights out of each section that I felt was what was impressed on my heart as I was preparing for this this morning. First Kings chapter eight verses twenty-five and twenty-six. God promised a dynasty to David's house if David's sons chose to follow God in the same way the ancestor David had had done. If you look at the promise that God made to uh, to Solomon. God said, if you will walk in the steps of your father, David, I will do this for you. And that same promise was made over and over and over again throughout the lineage. And we know that that in the end, they didn't follow the way they were supposed to. But God still honored all the way down to, to Christ, who is now the one who perpetually sits on the throne. Psalm 84 Verses 10 and 12 says that he, the writer that, that, that wrote this psalm said he would choose to take a lowly position in the temple rather than any other place that he could receive good stuff because the person who trusts in God is blessed by God. Let me restate that. The writer declares that he would choose to take a lowly position in the temple over any other place. Because the person who trusts in God is blessed by God. Joshua 24, verses 14 to 18. It had to be one or the other, not both. God demands loyalty. Beverly said, there are no other gods. God does not share his throne with anyone. And it's an either or. You either follow me or you don't. And then finally, John 61 through 69, Jesus said, do you want to leave too? Peter replied, well, where should we go? You're the one that has the words of eternal life. So as, as we've talked about this, if I were to ask you again, what do you think the what is is? What, what, what is the what is this morning that we're going to be talking about? It's kind of obscure. That's the reason I'm, I'm wanting you to think through this a little bit before we just talk about it. We, Joyce used the word choice, okay? And that's part of it. We have a free agent that we can choose not choose. We are free to choose, exactly. So the question that I wanted to talk about this morning is, what is free will? When, when we say, as Wesleyan Arminian Christians, we have the freedom to serve the Lord or not, what does that mean? Because we live in a world that is saturated with a lot of different teachings. And today's world, you know, back when I was first saved as a young Christian, there might be a Christian radio station every so often, maybe a Christian broadcast that would come up on a local radio station, but never did you have talk radio that was 24 seven Christian stations. I mean, up here having KJNP was a blessing, for, for this community to have that back in the 50s and 60s, that's amazing. That was unheard of. And so, but the world now has K Love and they have Moody Radio and they have all of these different radio stations, plus there's TBN. And so there's all of this theology that's being broadcast 24 7, basically. And some of it is, 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 uh, it is, it lines up with what we believe, but a lot of it, it's in contrast with what we believe. And there are people who say that there are Wesleyan-Armenian Nazarenes or Wesleyan-Armenian Christians who say that they are, but then they, they, they speak of other theologies because that's what they always hear 24-7. And so what I wanted to do this morning is talk to us about this idea of free will because it's a very specific, um, if you get it theologically, it's, it's Arminian, okay? Arminius taught that, Arminius was a, a, a one who came after John Calvin in, his, in, the, in the, 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 the timeline of theologians. And Arminius said, you know, I hear what Calvin is saying about the idea that that we are elected by God to serve God and that God has chosen us, but I don't see it as 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 a situation where we don't have a choice. I see it as a situation where we do have a choice. And Wesley picked up on that 200 years later and said, you know, I agree with what Arminius has to say, and he expounded on that even further. So I want to talk to us this morning, and I don't want to get theological, I just want to talk in normal terms. Because I couldn't do theological this morning anyway, because my, my brain is fried at this moment. But the question that I have for us this morning, first of all, is <clears throat> when God says we're free to choose, are we truly free? If you want to be, huh? be with Him, you better mean it. If you want to be with Him, you better mean it. If 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 I said to you, it's your choice, you're free to choose or not to choose, are you truly free?
1: I feel he didn't want us to be a
0: puppet. He doesn't want us to be a puppet? Okay. Well, like Joshua said, you have the choice.
2: Choose you
0: this day who you will serve. Okay. Look at John chapter six, <coughs> verse sixty five. If someone could read that one for us. 665, the Gospel of John, chapter 6.
1: You went on to say, this is why I told you that no one comes to
0: me unless the Father has to be See, that's the that's the number one thing that we need to understand. We we, in and of ourselves, because of the broken sin nature that's in us. <clears throat> we do not have the wherewithal to to follow God. We would not choose to follow God. We would not seek out God unless he sought us first. In Wesleyan theology, that's called prevenient grace. Basically what it means is God reaches out to you and woos you, draws you and says, I want to have relationship with you. And then we respond. So first of all, we are not free to choose unless God willingly reaches out to us. Because of our brokenness, we wouldn't choose. That's what John
1: 3.16 says, that whosoever believes.
0: Whosoever belie- believes, in John 3.16. However, we wouldn't believe unless God were the one that initiated.
2: We wouldn't even know if he didn't put that desire in our heart. Exactly. He in the Yes
1: Yes
0: we'll get there exactly you 're right, but want we'll, I want to follow this train of thought step by step it's it, exactly it 's a special invitation that we have to RSVP to. Look at Second Peter chapter three verse nine, and if you don't want to turn, I'll you know you can just take the notes. But Second Peter three nine says, "The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness." Now, what this is talking about is there was an argument being made that well, Jesus is supposed to be returning soon, isn't he? I thought he was coming home, coming back soon. That the kingdom was going to be starting, and Peter is writing to the people saying, "The Lord isn't slow." The reason that he hasn't returned yet is because he's being patient, because he doesn't want any Says He does not want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance, which goes back to what Sonia was just saying. The invitation is open to everyone. And God wants everyone who's going to come, to come. And so that's one of the reasons why the end of the world hasn't happened yet. Because not everyone who has said they were going to be a Christian has accepted the Lord yet. John chapter 5, verse 37 through 40 says... And uh, the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you don't believe the one he sent. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and to the scribes when he was saying this. The father's, Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. And he said the reason that, that people aren't coming to the Lord is not because God isn't calling them, because Second Peter tells us that God wants everyone to get saved. And John six sixty says, no one can come to the Father unless the Father draws him. And it's not that you're not coming to the Lord because God isn't calling you. And it's not that you're not coming to the Lord because God doesn't want you. It's because you're refusing to listen. God very clearly is telling you through the scriptures, through the prophets, through the things that Jesus did on this earth, through history, through all of the things that the church has done throughout throughout all of time. And those who are not Christians today are not Christians today simply because they refuse to see the truth. It's not that the truth is not being presented to them. Matthew 23, verse 37 says, this is Jesus standing outside of Jerusalem just before his triumphal entry. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under his wings, but you were not willing. You see, there is a choice involved. And this idea of free agency or free will is that God makes the offer, but we have the choice to say yes or no. And you will never find in the scriptures any story where Jesus goes running after somebody who walks away. The rich young ruler walked away sad. Jesus led him. These disciples in chapter 6 where, they, where a bunch of them walked out. And Jesus didn't go, oh, no, never mind, never mind. The teaching's too hard. Okay, I'll soften it. He didn't do that. He said, this is the teaching. Accept it or don't accept it. And a lot of them walked. So then he turns to his inner 12 and says, are you guys going to walk too? No, you're the only one that has the truth. Why would we walk away from you? Now, we have this freedom to enter into a relationship with God. This is where Wesleyan and Arminians come in conflict with some other theolo- theologies, and I want to talk a little bit about this so that you understand what we believe and what we, under- what we what we see in the scriptures. We have the freedom not only to enter into this relationship, we have the freedom as, as free agents to walk out of the relationship. Now that's where you're going to see a sticking point with some people that you may come in contact with. Because they'll say, no, 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 no. No, You can't ever be pulled out of God's hand. I'll read you that verse. John chapter 10, verses 22 to 30. John chapter 10, verses 22 to 30. It says that then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem and it was winter and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade And the Jews gathered around him and they were saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, just tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you didn't believe. The miracles I do in my father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My father has given them to me. Is greater than all. And no one can snatch them out of my father's hand. And the father and I are one. And that's an incredible promise. That we as Christians have. That we can never ever ever lose our salvation. We can never ever ever have any enemy come. And pull us away from God. God is too powerful. And too awesome. And too mighty to ever allow that to happen. However. We have the choice to stay or to go. We are not. We are never snatched out of God's hand. We can never be removed from God's hand and His protection. But we can walk, and that's one of the definitive things between Wesleyan Arminianism and Calvinism. I'm not saying Calvinism is bad or wrong or 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 anything. I'm just saying this is a difference in the way that we see the scriptures, in the way that Calvinists see the scriptures. And so as you're talking with brothers and sisters in the Lord, who are brothers and sisters in the Lord? You need to understand that this will be a difference of opinion. And okay, it's a difference of opinion. Bottom line is we're still saved. Bottom line is we're still brothers and sisters in Christ. And there's no reason for division. There's no reason at all for it. It's just a difference of opinion. I will also tell you that in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6, the writer to Hebrews said, it is impossible for someone who has once been enlightened, who has tasted the heavenly gift, who has shared in the Holy Spirit, who has tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if that person falls away, it is impossible for them to be brought back to repentance. Because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. What? Wait a second. It's possible to fall away? Yes. This term theologically is called apostasy. Apostasy simply means that I have gotten to the point in my faith or lack thereof that I no longer serve the God that I served at one point. I have become apostate. And Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6 says once you've been enlightened, once you've tasted the heavenly gift, once you've shared the Holy Spirit, once you've known Jesus as your personal Savior, and if you walk away from that, there's no other hope. Why isn't there any hope? Is it that God will never receive them again? No. It's because they walked away from the only true hope that there is. If the person says, I believe that Jesus is the only way for me to get to heaven, and then for some reason changes their heart and says, you know, that was stupid. Why in the world did I ever believe that? And they reject that truth. Well, there is no other hope. Because the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus. And if you refuse to believe that the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus, then you have no other way to get to heaven. I'm saying that they can change their mind back. I'm saying, but that's the only hope that they have. And if they reject it, then they have no hope. For example, okay, I know people who have been Christians and who have then left the faith and gone to become Buddhists. Okay? well, Hebrews chapter 6 is talking right about like that. There is no hope for them. Because they've rejected the truth of the gospel, they have forsaken their faith in God through Jesus Christ, and they are now trying to win their there is no such thing of winning in Buddhism, but anyway, they're trying to live their life as a Buddhist which has its 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 it's a it's a it's a it's a false faith. It is a it's a it's a cult if you will. It is wrong, and the end result is because they've rejected their only hope, they have no hope. It's not that God has closed the
1: door. Yes, ma'am. When I first went across that person, a young person and I looked it up in the Adam Clark commentary, mm-hmm. he pointed out that the tense for them walking away is a continuing tense. So it would be properly translated. So as long as they are going exactly. and rejecting the truth, exactly not have hope. So that would mean you can change your mind, but as long as you continue you're in the
0: way you go. Right? exactly. Let me, let me. This is the way I've explained this before in in, in when I've done Bible studies, or, or and I wish I had a, a board that I could draw on. But imagine that you're walking down a path with God, and God says, "Oh, let's let's go this way," and you go, "No, I want to go this way." And God says, "No, we're going to go this way," and you go, "No, I want to go this way." Well, God's not leaving, and God's not moving. You're the one moving. And the more, like Beverly just said, the longer you stay in rebellion against God, you're in rebellion against God. And there is no hope for you unless you come back into right relationship with Him by confessing your sin. And you can't say, well, I found a new path, because there is no other path. Being a Buddhist does not get you to heaven. Being... I don't even want to get into the whole litany because I haven't written down I don't want to say something stupid. Um, but the reality is, is that you can come back, you can confess and repent your, of your sin and get right back in right relationship with God and continue on the walk with Him. But as long as you stay out of relationship with Him, there is no hope for you. And you become what is known as an apostate. Look at Matthew chapter 24. This is talking about the end of the age. Matthew 24 verses 1 through 14. Jesus left the temple and was walking away with his disciples, came up to him and to call his attention to the buildings. Do you see all these things? he asked. I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another, every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, When's this going to happen? What will be the sign of the coming of the end of the age? And Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming that I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. You'll see that and see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. That's not fun. This is Jesus saying that this is going to happen to us. You'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith. You hear this? Jesus is saying this. Jesus is prophesying this. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the wicked increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Jesus is saying that Christians are going to walk away from the faith, betray and hate each other and the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. You see, Jesus is even saying that it's possible for someone who is a Christian, who has loved the Lord, who has served the Lord, To have their love grow cold. And if they grow cold, the danger is that they will walk away from their faith. It is not a matter of being snatched. It is not a matter of losing. It is not a matter, oh my goodness, I wake up this morning and what happened? I no longer believe. That's not it. It's all a matter of choice. I choose to live my life in this way. I choose to have Jesus as my Savior. I choose to have him as my Lord. And I do not walk away from that. I will never, ever lose out. But if I choose to walk away, there is a danger. Because if I am not in right relationship with God, when the end comes... Huh? You did that? Go ahead. Well, we'll talk... You came back, exactly. The last thing I want to talk to you about is is this one last verse, or section of verses. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 13. It's a very familiar verse. We started our service with the battle belongs to the Lord. We had the, the picture of the heavenly armor, and that's what this is talking about. Chapter 6, verses 10 to 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, not against rulers and authority, but it is against rulers and authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, stand. See, there's still an active command there. Being a Christian is not passive. Being a Christian is an active lifestyle. It is daily choosing to follow the faith. Daily choosing to let him be your Lord. It is being conscious of the fact that there is an enemy that is prowling around trying to steal, kill, and destroy. He can't. Hear me, he can't steal you. He can't destroy you. Unless God allows something to happen where you can have harm come into your life, the enemy has no control over you. But the reality is, if you are not actively involved in your faith, daily choosing to walk the way that you know you're supposed to walk, how does that live out? Oh, I don't know, maybe read your Bible every so often, maybe pray once in a while. Maybe give to the church when God prompts you to give to the church. I don't know how it lives out. That's between you and God. But the reality is is this. There is a battle that is being waged. And it is not something that you see on a daily basis because it's invisible to us. But the reality is this. It's going on. And we have a responsibility, first, to proclaim the truth to the people that don't know the truth. And secondly, we have a responsibility to stay firm in our faith Before God, Joshua said it to the people of Israel, choose this day whom you're going to serve. If you don't want to serve God, that's fine. Serve somebody else, but don't play second. You know, don't do this. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's either or or this or that. Not both. Um, Solomon, God, you've made certain promises. And as long as we follow these, uh, your commands and we live the life that you want us to live, we will have the promises. The writer of Psalms said, if I trust you, if I put my love, my my faith in you, if I stay with you present day by day by day, I will be blessed. And in in the Gospel of John, we see Jesus not chasing after somebody just because the teaching gets hard. We see Jesus letting them walk. Because it's not a matter of, I mean, it's not a game. This is a reality that you know the truth. You've received the truth. You've accepted the truth. And now you need to live in that truth. And if you choose to walk out of it, you're the one that's going to suffer for it. Not the rest of us. I know that sounds harsh. I know that some people don't like those words. Because it's a lot easier just to say, and I'm not faulting anybody else's beliefs. It's a lot easier to just simply say, I was saved when I was eight years old, and I will be saved until the day I die. I have nothing to fear. There is truth in that. You have nothing to fear except your own complacency. You have nothing to fear except your own apostasy. And that's something that you actively have to participate against day by day, moment by moment. It's your choice. That's what it means when God says we have free will. We have the ability to live the life he wants us to live. And we have the ability to walk away from that life. And it's a daily responsibility that we have before him. And I think that's all I need to say this morning. So let's pray. Father God, we love you and praise you and thank you. I ask that your truth would would reign, reign supreme. And I ask if there's anything that I said, Father, that is not of you, that it would fall away. Let your name be glorified and let your truth be told, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.